My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor of Grand Valley Church, and we're a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope that this message helps you to explore faith and grow in your relationship with God. Good morning. Welcome to Grand Valley Church Online. We're excited and glad that you're here with us. If you're watching this on Sunday, if you're catching up on demand, or maybe listening to our podcast, we are so glad that you're taking the time to be with us for our online service. My name is Brian, I'm the lead pastor, and today we are launching into a brand new series called Bible Study, How to Read the Bible. And we're going to be diving into how do we read scripture and how do we understand and what's the purpose. And I'm really excited to be diving into this series starting today. But one of the things I want to ask you to do before we get going is that if you want to get in touch with us at our church, or maybe you have questions or a prayer request, We would love to be able to pray for you and with you on those things. So if you go into the video description, there is a link to our online connect card. And if you fill that out, we would love to get in touch with you and have a conversation or to pray with you or for you and what's going on in your world as well. Well, as I said at the start, we are launching into a brand new series called Bible Study, How to Read the Bible. And if you're new and just checking out faith, or maybe you have questions about what does it mean to follow Jesus, this is going to be a really great series to join in on and journey with us. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or part of our church for a while, I hope that this series is going to reignite your passion for spending time reading scripture and diving into God's word. Now, when you pick up the Bible, oftentimes we wonder where we start because you realize that this book is unlike almost any other book because It's not actually just one book. In fact, the Bible is 66 books in total. There's 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament that all combined together make the Bible. But when you flip through the Bible, you start noticing that some of the books are very different from each other. In fact, the Bible as a whole, it contains historical accounts, books of poetry, wisdom, prophecy, gospels, public letters, private letters, and even there's one that falls under the category of apocalyptic literature. And sometimes when you look at them, you wonder, what do those things mean? And we're actually going to dive into the context and genre of the different books that make up the Bible next week. Because there's a question I want to get to first, is that when you look at the variety of what's in the Bible, sometimes we ask ourselves, like, why do we need to read this? Like, Do I have to read the Bible? Why can't someone else teach it to me? You know, isn't it enough to listen to podcasts or listen to sermons or to read books that people have written about the Bible? Can't we just do that? But the truth is that all those things are good and beneficial, but they don't replace Scripture itself. In fact, when we look at Scripture, One of the things that scripture often calls us to is to spend time in it daily. And this isn't about setting a goal that you have to meet. But you'll find that as we spend time in scripture, as we spend time reading it, it often builds more of a desire to keep reading and understand it. Because the Bible is such a unique way of us growing in our faith. In fact, one of the things that I've discovered in my time as a pastor is that I have never seen someone take tangible growths in their tangible steps in their own spiritual growth without having a practice of reading scripture on a regular basis. It is just so critical of a core way to understand who God is. And and I want to encourage you, if that's not a practice you have, that maybe this series will help you 
have a starting point into reading scripture on a regular basis. But one of the questions that I want to talk about today and where we're going to start with this series is the question of how do we view the Bible? When we open the Bible and we look for somewhere to start or when we think about the Bible, what comes to mind? And one of the most common things that comes to mind is that often we treat the Bible as a rule book or a source of knowledge. We think it's just facts and information, or we might think that the Bible is just a list of do this and don't do that. And to be fair, there are points in Scripture where there are lists of what to do and not to do. One of the famous examples of that is the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament when Moses came down from Mount Sinai meeting with God as the Israelites had left Egypt and God had given them these Ten Commandments that were the foundation of the Israelites' identity as a people. But there's a problem with a rule book approach because what you discover is that these rules are there to guide us as we follow God. The rule book isn't the main focus. In fact, the problem with a rule book approach to the Bible is it leads us to think all we have to do is follow the rules. If you do what you're supposed to do or you don't do what you don't do, then God should give you what you want and you'll get eternal life and that's all there is to it. But that really limits who God is and the purpose of Scripture and what the real meaning of having the Bible is. And I want to take us to two verses that are going to explain this really well to us. In fact, these are in the Old Testament in a book called Proverbs, which is a collection of sayings meant to teach and to educate. And in Proverbs 26, verse 4, it says this. It says, Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. And you might think, this is really great advice. This is a really great rule, especially in our world today of social media. I mean, we could say that, that the author of Proverbs, you know, knew that social media was going to happen. That when someone's having a foolish argument online, we should just stay out of it or we're going to become as foolish as they are. And you could say that is a great rule to follow. But if you read the next verse, it says this, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. Okay, so we are supposed to engage with the arguments that are foolish or else they're going to think they're wise. So we have to help them see what is wise, right? Well, if we put these side by side, we have don't answer the foolish arguments of fools. In the next verse, we have be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools. So which is it? See, if the Bible was a rule book, it's not a very good one. Because there's all these places where there are things like that that are different. And we look at them and we're like, wait, what does this mean? What are we actually supposed to do and follow as a follower of Jesus? Now, I don't want you just to exit out the video at this point and say, oh, I don't want to read the Bible. Because there is something bigger happening underneath the surface. There's something really giant that we're going to get to right now. And that is when we talk about what actually is the Bible's purpose. And I believe, and this is what I see time and time again in Scripture, is that there are two main focuses, two main purposes of the Bible. And the first one is simple, that the Bible exists to point us towards God. The Bible exists to reveal who God is. And in fact, as the whole Bible reveals God to us, it shows us that God desires a loving relationship with everyone, 
and he is constantly working towards that goal. And we see this time and time again because there is this bigger narrative, this bigger story that arcs over all of Scripture where we see God always working towards that goal. And then there's the second purpose, and this one is to lead us into wisdom. Now, wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. In fact, wisdom and knowledge are actually quite different from each other. And so if we go back to our two verses from Proverbs, where it says, don't answer the foolish, and then be sure to answer the foolish. Knowledge would be to pick one of these rules and follow it. But wisdom looks at these two and says, wait, in some situations it's one, and in some situations it's the other. And so I want to borrow the words of a professor of biblical studies from Eastern University in Pennsylvania, a guy by the name of Peter Enns. And he wrote a book called How the Bible Actually Works, and here's how he explains it better than I could. And he says, these two clearly contradictory proverbs are not a problem that needs fixing. Both of these sayings are wise, and the one we act upon here and now in this unscripted moment depends on which fits the current situation best. So he's saying both of these proverbs are correct. We don't have to choose one or the other and follow it as a rule. In fact, it depends on which fits the current situation best. See, we actually have to use wisdom to decide whether it's better to ignore the foolish arguments of fools or to engage with the arguments of fools to help educate and to help bring wisdom into the picture. See, that's what wisdom is. It's being able to discern and decide which fits the current situation best. See, in fact, if we only want knowledge, we'll lean back towards that rule book approach of do this and don't do that. But wisdom leads us to examine our actions and consider how our decisions will affect others in every unique situation. Wisdom requires a lot more of us. It requires us to be active in the decision of what is the best way to respond in any given circumstance? And I want to jump us all the way to a letter that's near the end of the New Testament. In fact, this letter is named Hebrews, and what's unique about it is it's not actually a letter. In fact, it was written as a sermon to be preached and spoken to a group of people where they're in the same room and they obviously they know the, each other well and they have a level of trust built up. And what's unique about Hebrews is we actually don't know who wrote it. There's been some people that have said, well, maybe it's Paul, but it doesn't fit Paul. It doesn't fit the way that Paul spoke and write. It's too different from Paul's writings to be Paul. And so we actually don't know who wrote it, but we do know a bit about the people it was spoken to. And this message of Hebrews, this sermon, was spoken to a group of Jesus followers who were considering throwing in the towel and walking away from their faith and returning to their previous worldview and saying, no, maybe Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And so the first portion of this message was is going through the Old Testament scriptures and pointing out, look at all the promises about who Jesus is. And look at what he fulfilled. We know that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed Savior sent to lead us to God. And so we're going to pick this up in Hebrews 5 verse 11. And this is one of those verses that we know they had a relationship with each other. 
because this isn't the kind of thing you would say to someone that you just met for the first time. In fact, I don't want you to read something into this and say that this is what I'm proclaiming over you right now. That's not at all. But this leads us to the passage that explains this concept of wisdom so beautifully. So in Hebrews 5.11, the, the speaker of Hebrew says this. There is much more we would like to say about this, about Jesus being the Messiah, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Ouch. See, that's the point where the people in the audience probably want to get up and walk out and say, oh, you're just going to browbeat us. But hang on, hang on. Walk this through and see where this goes. Because then they say this. They say, you have been believers so long now, you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. So they're saying there is a progression. There is growth that we are supposed to lean towards. And it goes on. And says, you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Now here's where it gets important. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So what the speaker of Hebrews is trying to convey to this group is, that they needed to move past the basics. That there's a point in your walk with God where you need to dive in past the starter steps of learning who God is. And then it has this distinction. He uses the metaphor of milk to solid food. But he says solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference. See, recognize the difference means it's not about memorizing a list of what's right and what's wrong. It's not about a rule book approach, but it's about being in every situation that we are, seeing what is right and what is wrong, and being able to make that decision in the moment. See, the definition of wisdom, when we look at scripture, is that wisdom is the ability to discern and decide between what is right and wrong, and then act upon it. See, knowledge would just be to have a list of what's right and wrong. But wisdom is the ability to make decisions as you are in situations you may never have been in before and to look at it and say, okay, what do I got to do now? What do I have to do next? And to take that time to absorb and to think and to look at, well, what does God say about similar situations? Wisdom is the ability to compile all these pieces together about who God is, how he's active in our lives, how the Holy Spirit leads us and make a decision about what is right and wrong and act upon it. That's the important part, that it leads to action. In fact, Pete Enns puts it this way. He says, once we come to see the entire Bible as a book of wisdom, we will come to know a Bible that opens up for us a deeper, more life-affirming, and frankly, more captivating journey of faith than the one that is preoccupied with coloring inside the lines. And this is what I find so fascinating about Scripture, and why we even use this term about it being a living book. Because in different seasons of our life, we will come back and read the passage maybe we've read dozens or hundreds of times before, and suddenly it speaks to us in a new way. That the Holy Spirit uses these words on a page to teach us truth that affirms life and draws us deeper and points out the direction we need to go, or the decision that we need to make. 
This is why when we say scripture tends to come alive, when we spend more time with it, because it draws us into this captivating journey of faith. In fact, to quote someone a little older than Peter Enns, D.L. Moody lived in the late 1800s, and he had this quote that has always stuck with me. He said, out of a hundred people, one will read the Bible and the other 99 will read the Christian. See, when I read that quote and I think about what that means, what that means is how I live my life, the actions I take, the decisions I make, the way that I carry myself, the way I interact with other people, that is what represents Jesus to the world. One percent, one person might pick up the Bible and explore and meet Jesus for the first time through Scripture alone. But the other 99%, their perceptions of what it means to follow Jesus is all based on followers of Jesus, all based on their experiences and interactions with Christians. And that's why wisdom is so critical in all of our encounters and dealings with people, of saying, is our wisdom motivating us? and leading us and helping us to explain who God is in ways that are truthful and inviting and inspiring and reveal God's love to people. And I want to wrap this up by going to a passage of scripture that comes from one of the Gospels, one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. And this one happens late in Jesus's ministry. And it's one of these passages that, to be honest, it's focused towards people like me, people who are teachers of religious law, people who had devoted their lives to studying scripture. But there's this specific group in this, in the teachers of religious law, that Jesus focuses and narrows in on. And that was this group that was so focused on seeing scripture as a rule book. They made everything about the law. They made everything about, are you following the law to the nth degree? Are you following it in the most perfect way possible because if we do that that's what God wants and Jesus in fact this is the only group that Jesus was ever critical and rebuked was those who should have known better and so Matthew 23 verse 23 Jesus says this he says what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees hypocrites For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. You're careful to follow the law in this such a small way. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Justice, mercy, and faith. Right now, our world is crying out for justice. Right now, people who have been systematically oppressed, people of color, people of visible minorities, they have been oppressed in our world in ways that many of us are just simply blind to. And right now, our world is calling that out. And in fact, this is not just a social movement. I believe this is a gospel issue that injustice is so baked in, uh, sorry, addressing injustice is so baked into scripture, it is the core of the Old and New Testament. In fact, the understanding of justice all throughout Scripture is significantly broader than simply saying what is legal under the law. Jesus says, don't forget the more important things, and he puts justice first because justice is so much bigger than that. Justice means, are we living our lives in ways 
that is how God intends for it to be. In fact, in Isaiah 1, one of the prophets that was sent to speak to kings and the people during times of oppression, during times when the nation of Israel and Judah were falling and crumbling and there was all kinds of things going on that were not how God wanted it to be. This is one of the things that God gave to the prophet Isaiah to say. It's this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. And that's just one example of so many times when God addresses justice and says that justice is not a social issue, justice is a gospel issue. And in fact, if we go to the prophet Micah, he has this to say. He says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. When he says to do what is right, he is saying to act with justice. Justice meaning all of our actions are part of shaping our world to be the way that God intended and designed for it to be. So places where systemic injustice are happening, us as followers of Jesus should be led by scripture and led by our desire for wisdom to make decisions that provide justice for those who have been denied justice. And in fact, as we discover God's character and we're led to wisdom through the Bible, we will become hungry for justice, mercy, faithfulness, and love. These are the hallmarks of maturity. These are the hallmarks that that speaker of Hebrews was looking towards and saying to this group of people that they knew well of saying, you've been on this journey for a while. It's time for you to teach others about justice, mercy, faithfulness, and love. So one of the things we said before was that the Bible has two purposes, to point us towards God and to lead us into wisdom. And as scripture reveals God to us and leads us into wisdom, it has to have a tangible outflow. It can't just be something that stays in our heads. It can't just be knowledge. It has to lead to action. Now, this might not have been the message that you expected when we started with how do we read the Bible. But this is one of those core things that if we miss out on this, we'll just read the Bible as knowledge or a rule book. And in fact, when we miss out how scripture reveals God and when we miss out on wisdom, that is when the Bible can be taken and it can be twisted into a tool to oppress and to create injustice. And that's why wisdom is so important. That's why understanding how scripture reveals God is so important. That's why the bigger narrative and story of scripture is so important. And we're going to dive into that next week, into understanding how do we wrestle through context and genre and the historical pieces. And I'm just letting you know it's going to be a dense message because there is so much to unpack. But when we unpack it, we start to see who God is with fresh eyes. We start to see wisdom leading us. And it's going to grow that hunger in us to see true justice, to see faithfulness, to see mercy, and to act and walk with love. So for today, we might be thinking, well, where do we start? 
Where do we start if we want to actually see how Scripture points us towards God and to lead us into wisdom? And we're going to do a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure thing here. I thought about prescribing a, uh, a Scripture reading plan we could all be on, but in fact, I think it's a little better if we're diving into different parts so that when we interact with one another, when we talk or when you have a, an online coffee or maybe a socially distanced backyard uh, bonfire with someone, that we have different pieces that we get to bring up and share and interact with because that is what is so beautiful and important about a community that is reading scripture together is when we can all bring forward the pieces that God is revealing to us. And so where do you start? I'm going to give kind of a couple options here. One is to read a gospel. The gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And I've singled out Mark or John because they're usually the two that I recommend first. Mark is kind of an action gospel. It takes us through what Jesus did in his ministry very quickly. It's the shortest of the four gospels. And then John is the one that we just spent our last series focused on. And John takes this time to dive into these teachings and these encounters that Jesus had with people. And they really give us a good picture of how Jesus interacted with people. And there's a lot we can learn from that. And uh, a lot that maybe if that intrigues you and you're just joining us, maybe you want to go back to the I Am series and watch some of those again. Another option is to look at Philippians. And that is a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to a church as a letter of encouragement. And there is some awesome, deep theological pieces in there that are very accessible that reveal who God is in that letter. And then another one that is a, a fascinating way to read scripture, maybe for the first time or with fresh eyes, is to start at Acts 1. And Acts is really part two of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And it tells the story of the early church. It tells the story of the disciples, and then later Paul joins the story, and we see what the Apostle Paul does to build the church, to spread the good news of who Jesus is. And we get to see how people respond to hearing about God for the first time. And so it's a fascinating journey as well. And so as you read scripture, I want to encourage you to ask some questions to read the passage, to ask these questions, and spend some time praying about it. So how does this passage reveal God? What does this passage of scripture that I just read, whether it's a couple verses, whether it's a paragraph, a couple paragraphs, or a chapter, how does this reveal God? And secondly, how did this teach wisdom? How does this teach us to take the teaching and to look for how it applies to lean into discernment and understanding and making decisions. And so it's a simple little formula, but it can unlock so much in Scripture and help us to engage with it more than just reading letters on a page, but to let Scripture come alive in us. How does this reveal God and how does this teach wisdom? Let me pray for us together. God, I pray that as we spend time in your word, that you would help Scripture come alive. We know that your Holy Spirit reveals Scripture to us as we read it, and I pray that we would be aware and open to that. I pray that we would, as we read your word, we would be asking these questions that help us understand, and that as we pray through these Scriptures, that we pray about how they apply to our lives, that you would open our eyes to see how applicable and real this all is for us 
even 2,000 years later. And so God, would you guide us and lead us in these ways and help grow in us a hunger and a desire for justice, for mercy, for faithfulness, and for love. Amen. So next week, we are going to be continuing this series, Bible study, and we're going to be diving into how do we understand and figure out the context and the genre and how the historical bits of scripture and how that bigger narrative fits together. So I hope you have an amazing week. I hope that scripture is coming alive to you as you study it. And I pray that we would hunger and thirst for justice and for our world to be remade in the way that God intended for it to be. You have a great week. See you next Sunday. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Our Sunday services are online only, streaming at 11 a.m. on YouTube. You can find out more about our church by going to mygrandvalley.ca or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.